Great is His faithfulness. Amen? Amen. Well, hey guys, thanks for worshiping with us today. Welcome to Alpine Church. It is great to see you guys here this morning. And if it happens to be your first time here today, we really hope that you feel welcome. We would love to help you pursue God today. Uh, if we can answer any questions or do anything to serve you, please make sure you let us know before you leave today. My name's John Bellis. If we've never met, I'm the lead pastor here at Alpine Logan, and I, I would love to get a chance to connect with you after the service. If we've never had a chance to interact, I'd love you to come up and just say hi and, and help me put a face with the name. I would appreciate it. I am excited to dig into God's Word today. We are kicking off a brand new five-week sermon series all in the book of Jonah. Now, I recognize if, if you grew up in church, as soon as I say Jonah, your mind probably immediately went to this amazing story about Jonah being swallowed by this great fish or by a whale, depending upon how you heard it growing up. And that certainly is an incredible part of the story, but there is a lot more to the book of Jonah. We discover so much about God's character in the book of Jonah. We learn about his great mercy and forgiveness, not only towards Jonah, but towards the nation of Assyria, a brutal empire that would actually eventually one day conquer the northern kingdom of Israel, but God was merciful to them. In fact, that kind of brings us to our theme verse for, the, for this whole series, which is Jonah 4.2. Jonah says, I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. And along with that verse, kind of our, our theme for the series is the story of Jonah is about the God of miracles who's willing to let everyone off the hook for their sins. Now, I want to make sure we're clear about what that means and what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that God is flippant towards sin. It doesn't mean that he just looks the other way and you can live how you want. It means he's willing to let us off the hook because he poured his wrath out on his son at the cross. But in that, we see his great mercy, his great extravagance of grace towards us. We also see God's justice and righteousness in Jonah because he sends Jonah to the people of Nineveh and says, you need to repent because your wickedness has come before me. We see God's power and his might in the book of Jonah as he creates this huge storm that swallows this boat that Jonah's on so that eventually they throw him overboard into the sea. We also see God's sovereignty in the book of Jonah and how he's able to accomplish his purposes even if he has to use a reluctant prophet to do it. There's so much in the book. It's a great literary work as well. You know, it's, it's listed in with the prophetic books of the Bible, but it reads much more like a narrative. There is a ton of foreshadowing in the book of Jonah. In fact, when this storm is hitting and all the sailors are freaking out, do you know where Jonah is during all this time? He's asleep. Does that remind you of another story in the New Testament where some guys are freaking out on a boat in the middle of a storm and somebody happens to be asleep? We also know that Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights. Again, does that sound familiar? In Matthew chapter 12, when Jesus was being asked by the religious leaders for a sign that he was the Messiah, he told them the following. He said, an evil and adulterous generation craves a sign, yet no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Because just as Jonah was in the stomach of the fish for three days and three nights, 
so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. And the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment and condemn the people living today because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. But look, someone greater than Jonah is here. And there's even more foreshadowing in the book of Jonah that we're going to dig into as we go through the series. So let's dig in, and I think we're going to discover that Jonah is more than just a really cool fish story. So the, the title for today's sermon is When Jonah Ran from God. And if you're familiar with the Jonah story, you probably recognize that the reason this whole great fish thing happened is Jonah ran from God's calling. God had called him to go to the city of Nineveh and preach, but Jonah didn't want to do that, and he ran the opposite direction. But did you know this wasn't Jonah's first calling? That God had actually used Jonah earlier than this to speak to the nation of Israel. And we read about this first calling in 2 Kings chapter 14. It says, Jeroboam II recovered the territories of Israel between Labo Hamath and the Dead Sea, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had promised through Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from gath Hefer. For the Lord saw the bitter suffering of everyone in Israel and that there was no one in Israel, slave or free, to help them. So let's fill in the backstory so you know the context of what's going on here in 2 Kings chapter 14. So Jonah lived in a time when the nation of Israel had been split into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom called Israel and a southern kingdom called Judah. This happened right after the death of King Solomon. The very first king of the northern kingdom was a guy named Jeroboam. But it's not the same Jeroboam we read about in 2 Kings 14. So, so they refer to him in 2 Kings 14 as Jeroboam II because it's a different king. In fact, Jeroboam II is the 13th king in the northern kingdom after the split. So 13 kings had come along and not a single one did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, including Jeroboam II. If we back up just a couple of verses when it talks about how he became king, the Bible says that he did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. And that's a reference all the way back to the first king. Generation after generation after generation of leaders for the northern kingdom of Israel led God's people away from him. Led, him, led them into rebellion and to open sin. God had sent multiple prophets to warn them, and they disregarded those warnings. God had every right to just blast them. But it says he saw their bitter suffering. And again, God is going to be merciful. God is going to save them. So he speaks this prophecy through Jonah that they're going to recover some of the territory that they've lost. And that's what this verse in 2 Kings is talking about, how Jeroboam II regained that territory. So that was Jonah's first calling. Jonah was called by God to go and deliver this news to Israel that, hey, I've seen your bitter suffering, and I'm going to come in and I'm going to save you, and I'm going to restore part of your kingdom. And Jonah is excited about that calling. Like, who, want, who wouldn't want to give that calling, right? He was probably the most popular guy in all of Israel at the time. Like, they were buying him drinks and inviting him to all the parties, getting him tickets to the races, right? Like, he was the man, because he had spread this good news that God was going to rescue them. See, sometimes we hear God calling and we're quick to respond 
because we're excited about the call. We think it's a great calling and we're ready to go. We're ready to jump in with both feet. I remember when I felt God calling me to go to Utah State out of high school. Like I was just excited. I wanted to come up and be in Cache Valley. Even though my parents were clear across the country and I knew they were going to be frustrated, I was excited about that calling. When God first called me to go into ministry part-time here at Alpine Church, I was excited. I knew I was going to learn a ton about ministry and leadership from Pastor Chad, and I was just excited to learn from him and, and take that calling. And then when God called me to go into ministry full-time at Alpine Church, I was excited. I knew what an awesome congregation I was going to get a chance to shepherd. That's you. That's brownie points. I hope that's where. <laughs> but also I knew that I was going to get to rub shoulders with other men on our staff who love Jesus and who were serious about advancing his kingdom. And I never had that opportunity in my other jobs. So I was ready to jump in with both feet. I was excited about that calling. And I'm sure you can think of examples in your life when God's calling was great. Like when God first called you into relationship with him and you recognized you could have forgiveness of your sins. What a great calling. Maybe God called you out of an addiction and you're free from that now. What an awesome calling. Maybe God called you to serve in kids' church and you don't feel like it yet. But trust me, it is a great calling. So thank you for responding to that. But then sometimes God's calling doesn't seem so great. Sometimes we don't like it when God calls. Sometimes we reject God's messaging and we run from him. That's the next point of the sermon. And this is what Jonah tried to do when God called him to go and announce judgment against the city of Nineveh. He not only tried to run, he literally tried to run as far away as he could in the exact opposite direction. We see it in Jonah 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. Can you take me one more, Laurel? There we go. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Now put yourself in Jonah's shoes for just a second. God is asking you to go to the capital city of Assyria, the most dominant, most powerful empire in your part of the world, and probably the most brutal, an empire that is openly hostile towards you and your country. An empire that eventually will destroy the nation of Israel. See, this time God's not calling Jonah to go to his fellow Israelites and give them good news. He's calling him to go to a pagan Gentile city and preach the message of repentance. How would you respond if God called you to do that? Well, Jonah responded by running and it always strikes me that the Bible says that Jonah ran the opposite direction to flee the presence of the Lord. A prophet of God should know better. There's no place you can go to flee the presence of the Lord. Psalm 139, 7 through 10 says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning... 
If I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. So in case you're confused like Jonah, let me just warn you, there is no place you can go to escape God's presence. So why did Jonah run? At first glance, you might think it was fear. You might think that he knew how brutal Assyria was and that he feared for his physical safety or at the very least that they would mock and ridicule him. And that might have been part of it, but it's not the main reason that he ran. Jonah actually tells us the main reason that he ran in chapter 4, and it's part of our our theme verse. So in Jonah 4.2, Jonah says, Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? And he's talking about forgiving the Assyrians. He's like, didn't I tell you you'd be merciful? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. And we read that and we think, wait, wait, what? You're mad that God is slow to anger? (laughs) You're mad that, that God turns away from destroying people? That should make you want to go and preach this message. But again, remember the context in which Jonah lived. Jonah knew that a powerful, thriving Assyria was bad news for the nation of Israel. And he was right. A few generations down the road, the Assyrians would come in and basically wipe the northern kingdom off the map and lead them into exile. See, Jonah was, in a sense, trying to play God. Jonah was trying to take control of the situation, and Jonah thought, well, if I don't go and preach this message of repentance, God will destroy Assyria, and Israel will be saved. So he ran instead of trusting God and God's sovereignty. And before we're too critical of Jonah, I would imagine every single one of us can think of a time when God called us to do something, and we ran. And maybe God called you to reach out to that neighbor that is the the source of tension in the neighborhood, right? That one neighbor that nobody gets along with. And you're like, no, I'm, I'm not doing that, Lord. Maybe he asked you to quit a job that wasn't really honoring to him, but you didn't trust that he could meet your financial needs, so you just couldn't pull the trigger on it. Maybe you're a young person here at school, and you know that one kid in school that everybody's always bullying, and God has called you to stand up to them, but you're like, man, that's just going to put a target on my back. There's no way I could do that. So when I think of Jonah's call to go to Nineveh, I think of the story of Elizabeth Elliot. If you're not familiar with her story, Elizabeth Elliot, her husband was killed by the Aka Indians in Ecuador in 1956. And then God called her to go and share the gospel with the very people who killed her husband. I don't know if I could have done it. I wonder if she battled in her spirit, wondering if these people were worthy of God's mercy, worthy of God's forgiveness, but she ran to the call. Instead of running away from God, she ran to the call and witnessed to the very people who had murdered her husband, and many of them put their faith in Jesus Christ. One of my favorite quotes from her is the following. She says, to be a follower of the crucified means sooner or later a personal encounter with the cross, and the cross always entails loss. So are you and I willing to suffer loss when God calls? Or are we going to flee? That brings us to the next point for today's message. Our bad choices don't just affect us. They cause collateral damage. (laughs) Now we're both hitting it, Laurel. All right, I got it. We're going to see in the story that there were consequences for Jonah's running. 
But those consequences weren't just for him. Everybody else on that boat suffered consequences because of his disobedience. And so we see that in Jonah 1, verses 4 and 5. It says, But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. So Jonah is on this boat, heading the opposite direction of where God called him to go, and God sends this powerful storm onto the sea. And all these pagan sailors start shouting to their gods for help. You'll notice that gods is with a little g. These aren't gods at all. These are man-made ideas. They have no power. They have no authority. They can't help them. They can't save them. They start to throw cargo overboard to lighten the ship. So we see there's actual a material financial loss here. Somebody had to pay for that cargo. That was somebody's livelihood that they had to chuck overboard because of Jonah's disobedience. We see that they were terrified and afraid. So there were emotional consequences for that crew to Jonah's disobedience. This is very sobering for me. It's a reminder to me that when I'm disobedient, when I run from God, there's a ripple effect. And there are consequences often for the people closest to me, the people I love the most. They have consequences because of my disobedience. See, one of the great lies the devil tries to get you to believe is that your sin only affects you. That is never true. There's no such thing as sin in a vacuum. Our sin always has a ripple effect. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Sometimes that's emotional death, relational death, spiritual death. It can even be physical death. According to the Bible, our disobedience, if we don't deal with it, can even create generational sin where our kids and grandkids have a propensity to go a certain direction if we don't deal with our sin in a healthy manner. Jonah's disobedience was costly to everyone on the boat. And some of you here today, you've experienced that the hard way firsthand. You've made choices and you've made decisions that have had devastating consequences on people around you. If that's you, I hope that you would be encouraged by Jonah. Because what we see is that God even uses those circumstances to bless those sailors on the boat. That God uses those circumstances to draw those sailors to himself. And so if you will turn to God, if you will humble yourself and repent of those bad decisions, God can use even those to bless people in your life. So the storm continues to rage and nothing seems to be working. The, The crews have called out, they've asked their gods for help, they've thrown stuff overboard and nothing's working. And so the captain looks around to try and find Jonah and he finds Jonah down below asleep. I'm like, I'm getting seasick just reading this story. How in the world is he sleeping through this, right? But I'm guessing the storm going on inside of Jonah was just as brutal as the storm going on outside. And there's something about this scene that is so tragic. Because you have all these guys on the deck who are lifting prayer and and, and intercession requests and they're crying for help to these little gods who can't do anything for them. There's only one person on the boat who has a relationship with the true God, the almighty God of heaven and earth, and he's sleeping on the job. He's asleep. You know, my senior year in high school, my family moved from Utah down to Alabama, but I I didn't go. 
I was involved in sports and student council and choir and just a ton of things. And I knew if I moved in August of my senior year, the chances of being able to do all that down in Alabama were pretty slim. So I stayed and lived with a buddy for a whole year, my senior year in high school. We were together like 23 hours and 52 minutes of the day. It was kind of disgusting in a lot of ways. Like we played football together. We were in choir together. We did student council together. You know, we lived together. He was not a believer at the time. Now, he would have told you he was a Christian, but he didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. And in that year, I think I was only intentional about sharing the gospel twice. I was sleeping. God put me in that time and that place, and I was asleep on the job. Now, fortunately, he came up here and went to Utah State with me, and I got way more intentional and uh, so did other kids in our college group, and he ended up putting his faith in Jesus. He got baptized in First Dam. It's an awesome story. But man, for a year, guys, I was asleep. And I hope and pray that as a church, we aren't guilty of the same thing. Are we sleeping? There are people all around us who don't have a relationship with the God of the Bible. They don't know the capital G God. And God has put us here for a reason. Are we interceding on their behalf? Are we lifting up cries for their help? Are we talking to them about Jesus or are we sleeping? Parents, your kids need you to step in and speak truth and encouragement to them. Are you doing that or are you sleeping? Husbands, you need to be on your knees every night for your wives and your kids. Are you doing that or are you sleeping? Young people, you might be the only person in your classroom who has a relationship with the God of the Bible. Are you lifting up requests for your classmates? Are you sharing the good news with them? Or are you sleeping? And lastly, you might be the only person on your job site who knows Jesus. Is he using you? Or are you asleep? I just pray that we'd wake up. Man, if we've been sleeping, let's wake up. Let's be diligent. Let's be alert. Let's be mindful because God has put us right here in Cache Valley in this time. I believe this for a purpose. God has been doing some amazing things here over the last several years, and I think he wants to do even more if we'll just wake up and jump in and see what he's doing. I'm so grateful that my disobedience and cowardice doesn't keep God from doing what he wants to do. Now, I'm not saying there are consequences. Again, there are consequences to my disobedience. One of the beautiful things about the story of Jonah is God still accomplishes his purpose in spite of Jonah running. And that brings us to our last point for today. And that's that God is always at work, whether we are running to him or whether we are running from him. The story goes on and says the sailors then cast lots to try and figure out who's to blame for this. Like, why is this happening to us? So they cast lots, and sure enough, the lot falls on Jonah. So they start blasting Jonah with all these questions. Who are you? Where are you from? What do you do for a living? Why is this storm happening? And Jonah comes clean. He's like, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the God of heaven and earth who made the land and made the sea. And then they get even more terrified. Terrified. Fried would be really bad. Terrified. Because he told them that he was running from the Lord, and so they're panicking even more. And he says, hey, just throw me overboard. It's my fault if you just throw me overboard, the, the storm will stop. And they don't want to do it. They're scared to do it. So they try rowing even harder to get to the shore, and they can't. The storm gets worse. 
Finally, they say, God, please don't hold us accountable for throwing this guy overboard, but we have to do it. And so they throw him overboard. And as soon as he hits the water, the storm stops. Now, that would get your attention, wouldn't it? It got their attention. So he got the attention of the crew, and this is how they responded. Jonah 1, verse 16, it says, The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now notice the sailors made this vow after they were safe. See, so often you and I, we make a vow in the middle of the storm. God, if you'll just get me through this, then I'll do this. God, if you'll just save me, then I'll honor you. God, if you'll just give me this, then I'll quit this habit you want me to quit. No, this was after the fact. God had already saved them. They weren't bargaining with God for a miracle. God had already provided. And out of their gratitude and because they were awestruck, as the verse says, they offer a sacrifice to God and they vow to serve Him. See, I love that that God used a difficult situation, even Jonah's disobedience, to draw these men to himself. That they have an encounter with the real God. And we talked about foreshadowing earlier, and then here at the end of the chapter, we see more foreshadowing happen. We see that Jonah sacrifices himself for the safety of all those on the boat. In the same way, Jesus Christ sacrificed himself for all of us who would put our faith in him. We see that Jonah threw himself into the fury of the storm, just like Jesus threw himself into the fury of God's wrath on the cross. But there is one major difference. Jonah was disobedient and running. Jesus was sinless and perfectly obeying the will of the Father. As we wrap up today, I want to talk to those of you that I think might fall into three categories based on this first chapter of Jonah Runners, sleepers, and sailors. First for the runners. I have no doubt in my mind that in a room this size, some of you today are running from God. God has asked you to do something or or called you to give up something that you're just scared to do. And you've been running from Him. And I just want to save you the heartache and the headache and let you know there's no place you can go to run from His presence. And if you will just stop and turn to him, you will find him running to you with open arms. That he longs to be gracious and merciful to you, just like he was to Jonah, just like he was to the city of Nineveh when they repented. There's nothing you've done that's greater than his mercy. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be consequences. There can still be consequences, as we've seen today. One of the beautiful things is once we come to him and and humble ourselves, God can even use the consequences for our good. In Romans 8, 28, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, I'm sure a ton of you know, know it, that God promises to use all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So stop running and turn back to your merciful God. Second, for the sleepers, For those of you who already have a relationship with God, but you recognize today you've been sleeping. You haven't been engaged in building his kingdom. You haven't been engaged in interceding for those around you. I just pray that God will give you the courage to step up, to be alert. And you can start small. Send that text or send that note of encouragement to that person that you know is struggling this week. Spend five more minutes in your prayer time praying for someone other than yourself. Have a meaningful conversation with someone at home 
That's why we spend so much time and energy pouring into those resources at PursueGod.org. It's so easy to have meaningful conversations using that tool. You don't have to use that tool. If there's another way you like to do it, fine, but do it. Wake up. Be a part of what's going on. I don't know that God's calling you to go to a foreign city and preach on the corner like he did Jonah. He might one day. But I know he's calling you to start right here and right now. And then lastly, for those of you that can identify with the sailors, maybe you're here today and you're in the middle of a storm. And it's brutal. And you've tried everything you know to stop it. You've tried to get out of it, but you just can't seem to get out of it. I pray that you'd come to the realization like the sailors did, that you need to cry out to the God, to the Almighty God of heaven and earth, that your relationship with him has been broken because of sin, but he sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. When you put your trust in him, you can call out to him and he will answer. Because no matter what storm you're in, the biggest storm in your life is sin and death. And we're all subject to that until we put our faith in Jesus Christ. If you'd like to talk about that more after the service, I'd love to have that conversation with you. I'm sure the person who invited you here today would love to have that conversation. But that's my prayer, that you would just ask God as we wrap up in prayer today, are you a, are you a runner? Are you a sleeper? Or are you a sailor? And if you're none of those, praise God. Find someone who is and help them take their next step. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your mercy that we learn about in Jonah. I'm thankful that it is, it is everlasting. In fact, Psalm 100 verse 5 says that your mercy is everlasting. And so God, just like the Israelites didn't deserve your mercy when you helped them regain territory under Jeroboam II, just like the city of Nineveh didn't deserve your mercy, neither do we. But you are so gracious that when we come to you, when we confess our sins, when we ask you to forgive us, you do. So God, I just lift up anyone who's, who's never done that, who has never just come to you and said, God, I'm broken. And these storms just keep rolling over me and I don't know what to do. God, I just pray that today would be the day that they would put their trust in you. I pray, God, that you would just do a mighty work in their life. For those of us who've already done that, who've already put our faith in you, God, I just pray that we would not be asleep. I pray that we would wake up. And I ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.